Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Well, thank you very much, and I just want to congratulate everybody. The stock market, Dow Jones Industrial Average, just hit 30,000, which is the highest in history. We've never broken 30,000, and that's just despite... Uh, everything that's taken place with the pandemic. I'm very uh, thrilled with what's happened on the vaccine front. That's been absolutely incredible. It's, uh, nothing like that has ever happened medically. And uh, I think people are acknowledging that and it's having a big effect. But uh, the stock market's just broken 30,000. Never been broken, that number. That's a sacred number, 30,000. Nobody thought they'd ever see it. Uh, that's the ninth time since uh, the beginning of 2020. And it's the 48th time that we've broken records in during the Trump administration. And I just want to congratulate all the people within the administration that work so hard. And most importantly, I want to congratulate the people of our country because there are no people like you. Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs> There's no people like you guys. I just want to say that Mike Murphy and Robert Gibbs. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Uh, it's right back at you. You know, the hilarious thing about that is the irony is that one of the reasons the stock market is exploding is he's leaving. You know? Exactly. It, it's like the great old Hollywood joke about Buddy Rich, the, the brilliant drummer that was not a very pleasant person. The joke is 10,000 people showed up to his funeral. Why? They wanted to make sure he was dead. <laughs> I would also just like to congratulate each of you on the Dow hitting 30,000. Just <laughs> yeah. con congratulations. It wasn't guys. easy, but yeah, yeah, we, we, we had a lot to do with it. Uh, it was a tough climb, but we knew we could make it. No, I mean, you know, I, Murphy's right. I think uh, partly this was a reaction to uh, his, finally uh, the grudging uh, willingness to uh, officially open the transition process. Part of it has to do uh, with um, the news that Janet Yellen's going to be the Treasury Secretary, the former Fed chief, uh, seems to be getting accolades from left to right, or at least left to Wall Street um, uh, as a selection. But a lot of it is, yeah, um, it, you know, finally things are settling down. You know, uh, Trump wants to get it to 40,000. He could announce he's leaving Monday. <laughs> <laughs> well, as in, as we've said before, he's in a, you know, he is a religious listener to Hacks <laughs> on Tap. So if he does resign on Monday, we'll know where the idea uh, originated. But, you know, it, it is worth noting. He came out to note the milestone of uh, the market hitting 30,000. He, he never did come out when we hit the milestone of 250,000 dead in this in this pandemic uh in fact he's basically uh, he's basically resigned himself uh he's he's resigned though he's not left uh since uh election day he's played a lot of golf we haven't heard much from him and he apparently has just checked out um but he felt this was the occasion to come out and speak for a minute with Mike Pence standing next to him I was going to say, what do you think Mike Pence was thinking? Like, what, what what kind of briefing did he get before he walked out to stand next to Donald Trump for exactly 60 seconds congratulating America on the great barrier of 30,000 in the Dow? Again, not to mention either COVID or 
you know, the hundreds of thousands of people lined up at food banks. Yeah, I, I think Pence is Googling corporate board members over 80 thinking about vacancies next year. You know, I think he, he's like Trump. They're checked out. Cause nobody. Trump is like the, you know, the furious cornered hyena. I think the staff's theory is just let him sulk and call his friends, try to keep him off Twitter, try to keep him from like handing over the nuclear codes to the Soviet, the Russians, um, dating myself. But I, I think they're just trying to put the toddler to sleep now. And the fact that he's not doing too much, I don't think it's a bad thing. Well, he is doing some things that are sort of subversive to oh, of course. the new administration in terms of foreign policy um, decisions that he's making and, uh, and, and, and some others. But uh, the question, Mike, and we, we've visited this a few times now, a few more Republicans have come out and acknowledged the reality of this. I don't think Mitch McConnell is at, is at this hour is one of them. Uh, like, what is up with that? Well, it's one of these things where you have to have to put your head into the shoebox of thinking only about the politics of it. Um, I mean, I kind of envy the Democrats now because they they get to be politically cynical and morally upright at the same time, which is rare. But, you know, their voters all hate Trump, so it, it, there's no pain in it. Over on the Republican world, morally, Trump's a disaster, and there are a million reasons he ought to be condemned, and the Repubs, most of them have been great cowards. But they're looking at the special elections coming up in Georgia, and they say, well, you know, if Mitch goes out, and Mitch had a taste of this in, I think it was the 18 midterms, where there was some little thing, and um, in Mitch's own primary, they, they tried to get the Trumpers riled up against swamp boss Mitch. So I think the McConnell guy's like, ah, we poke Trump, he pokes back, Mitch is the enemy, then all of a sudden our our precious runoff in Georgia could get upset. And so I think they're playing the pure politic game of let the bonfire rage till the uh, the 5th, and then, you know, then the thing will land. But there's no doubt that certifications now, Michigan, Pennsylvania, that has been rolling thunder, and you're seeing more and more ours come out um which on the Republican logarithmatic scale of cowardice is is showing a shift. Well, what about Georgia, you guys? What 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 if you were strategizing for the Republicans and if you were strategizing for the Democrats, uh, what would you be thinking at this moment? How close do you cleave to Trump? How much do you need Trump? How much do you want Trump uh, involved there? Uh, like I, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously at the beginning they thought very close because they all came out and uh, the both candidates on the Republican side came out and condemned the Republican Secretary of State for uh, processing an election in which Trump did not win. Yeah, I don't know if they have a choice. I think they're going to be more afraid of Trump going bitter and angry, and that's what they're going to be hearing back channel from the why White House staff. Why would they think that? I mean, don't, why, when does he ever provoke. do that? <laughs> yeah, no, fly off the handle, him, ha, impossible. <laughs> he is subtle. But, but, you know, he's nitroglycerin, so if they could get Trump light, they probably would try to you know get a little more going in the suburbs. And by the way, the first polling's coming back. I don't know if you guys have heard anything on your side, but it's pretty close with Kelly Leffler showing particular problems. On the other hand, uh, Purdue showing more strength. So I think the Repubs are like, eh, we try to move the Trump thing around too much. Trump goes crazy and we lose a lot more than we gain. So they're, he's what they got and they're going to play the card. You know, it'd be interesting to see because I originally had thought that Trump would try to come into Georgia late and demonstrate he could still pull a big crowd and still get people excited. 
Um, but the more and more I think of it and, and some of what you read is Trump really doesn't have any desire to go help anybody anymore. I think he feels like, uh, he's, he's given his, he's done his thing. He's given, uh, what he's going to give. And quite frankly, um, he he's, he's out. And so I, I think that's interesting because in reality, you know, both sides, the turnout mechanism for, for both sides in, in the general election was, uh, was Trump. And and I, I wonder how the Republicans act without something like that to really pull it out. I, I think it's a little harder to nationalize the election. That'll certainly be the message, the check on a Democratic Senate with yeah, a Democratic Yeah, that's president. where you go. But I think that, I don't think that gets people nearly as excited as, as what Trump used to get people excited for. Well, here's the thing that Trump has gotten people excited about, that elections are crooked, that the Georgia elections were not run properly. And I've heard some Republicans say privately they're a little concerned that all of that chatter is going to discourage people from coming out and participating again uh, in this election. Uh, I mean, Murphy, what do you what do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, maybe. I, I think one of the great hobbies of political hacks, as we all know, is coming up with complicated unified field theories about turnout this year. You know, I don't know. Grape prices are down. That could affect turnout. I, I think. Wait a second, grape prices are down? No, no, clearly. That means wine is cheaper, everybody's drunk, they're hang- hungover, they don't want to get up early and turn out the vote. I've, I've heard more crazy-ass turnout theories. Here's my turnout theory. It's normally, in runoffs, there is less turnout, and it tends to be the older, whiter vote that turns out a bit more. Now, Biden made some inroads there. I think there's going to be a zillion dollars of advertising trying to hurt Warnock and Ossoff with those voters. The Dems, I, yeah. I think the message of don't turn them loose, you know, the Dems got enough. Don't be greedy. Don't don't give socialists a blank check to run the economy. That plus Trump is going to show up, I think, in December, and he will do avenge me and make it so big they can't even steal it this time. And I think it'll resonate. I, I think he's got one last big emotional lunge left and i think you're going to see it in a big crowd ignoring covid rules down in georgia you know senator leffler was appointed by uh the governor kemp uh to fill a vacancy because they thought she would be a strong suburban candidate Mm -hmm. uh and then she had to so um uh so pervert herself to the in terms of uh, moving right uh, in order to get get right with the right uh, and win the primary and knock off uh, Collins down there that um, she kind of got into a mess that in her investment situation around uh, COVID. It, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, the big movement to the D's on the presidential race was among not not women who had already made that move. But men, uh, suburban men, college-educated uh, white men who moved from uh, Biden uh, from Trump to Biden because they just couldn't abide uh, they couldn't abide Trump. I wonder if if uh, Purdue will get the benefit of those votes and she will not. Well, that is that's the kind of I think there's some fear because apparently she is. I mean, just to back up, there is a whole Game of Thrones thing going on here. So, Governor Kemp. Republican, not a dumb guy in politics, decides, hey, we need the suburban moderate. So they beam up Kelly Leffler, who was really from like the finance committee. And the flamethrowing congressman, Doug Collins, ran against her, gave her a good race in the primary. Trump was for him. 
Yeah. And, you know, Trump and the governor feuded a little bit. The governor was one of the few to kind of say, no, Trump, yes. I run Georgia. I pick who gets the appointment. Then, of course, she was reduced to running ads, literally, that said she's endorsed by Genghis Khan fighting off the primary. She could have lost. So she's really damaged herself because people can smell the inauthenticity of the suburban regular Republican turning into Genghis Khan. And, you know, it comes down to who does Trump hate more? Does he want to screw the governor? You know, does he want to show when has Leffler repaired the relationship with him? And so she could be a little hobbled by some of that. Uh, Purdue's got none of those problems, and he's the incumbent with with some history. And I personally don't like the guy. I think he's kind of a jerk. But I think he has the most political strength of the four candidates, so he's probably the best off. She had to, she had to run so far uh, right, Gibbs, that her WNBA team that she owns turned on her and are working against her in the race. And I think, you know, they may, you know, both of these, they, they may be occupying a place in sort of this weird middle ground because I saw a clip yesterday. They were at, a, um, uh, I guess, Purdue is at a rally um, because Leffler is now quarantining from some positive and negative COVID tests. You know, that after, you know, he gave his stump speech, somebody in the crowd yelled, what are you doing to stop the stealing of the election uh, and 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 the kicking out of Donald Trump. So, I, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch. It may take Trump laying hands on these guys to give them uh, the the right imprimatur in order to take this. But I, I think you're right. That Leffler was was essentially created to solve what people knew was happening in Georgia in watching these suburban votes. Uh, disappear for for Democrats, per, you know, predominantly around uh, a growing suburban center in Atlanta, and uh, and and she's gone so far to the right that um, it, it'll be interesting to watch. I do think there's also some shenanigans on the Republican side of, um, you know, that there's people that are that have talked about wanting to run for that seat uh, because whoever wins the Leffler Warnock race has to run again in 2022. So right. that race is going to come back around pretty quickly. And so I think there's a lot of sort of three-dimensional chess going on here. I think if you're the Democrats, um, you know, you the, the challenge to Mike's point of diminished turnout is how do you get people excited again? How do you get them and how do you get them excited again on January the 5th? Uh, I think it's it is a hard thing. We've seen it happen a couple of times where uh, these Senate runoffs, they just the, the coalition just doesn't get recreated. I think it'll be fascinating to watch this time um, with a black candidate and Reverend Warnock on. Does that help drive out that base turnout that you need? Um, do, do you keep that suburban strength? Um, what role does uh, Stacey Abrams and her organization play in, again, recreating that? The Democratic uh, formula is can Warnock bring out African-American voters and Ossoff uh, bring out uh, suburban voters and right. somehow benefit each other. But you say they're playing three-dimensional chess. What it isn't is horseshoes. So if Democrats win one but not two, there's no prize for that. <laughs> they need both seats or Republicans control uh, the Senate, and I agree with you at the end of the day, I think the argument the Republicans are going to go back to is um, uh, Biden's the president. And uh, and do you want to turn the, do you want to give him the entire Congress or do you want to have this uh, fail safe right. mechanism called the United States Senate? And uh, it'll be interesting to see how those uh, particular those suburban men react to it. And uh, no one has a 
I mean, everybody in the country has a stake in it. Nobody more than Joe Biden, who uh, whose program uh, will be uh, either um, uh, you know expansive or limited, to, based on right. what happens uh, on January fifth. But he did There's have one a, more one more just aspect to this. Just uh, as we wrap up Georgia, don't you recognize a segue when you hear one? I, I know, I know, but we I, I've got to I've got to get my jaws of life out here and fit one more one more thing in. He's got to get um, it off his list. It, it is going to be an interesting Christmas in Democrat land down there. Because you might have exactly that dynamic. I mean, neither of these Dem candidates, Ossoff or Warnock, have the Biden special sauce, which is Biden is so trusted by the African-American community through history that he gets that strong vote and he can be a moderate at the same time uh, to attract white suburbanites and men and all the, all the stuff he did. So now you're going to have this deal where 10 days out over at the Ossoff campaign, they're thinking, you know, Warnock's doing fine. Uh, with base Fulton County support. But boy, the Republicans are killing them in in the suburbs for all kinds of scary left-wing stuff. Maybe we need a little distance there. And, you know, you get into four-dimensional chess as they try to figure (laughs) that out when they think that maybe one ought to sacrifice the other little to get to the finish line. So this will be, for junkies, a fun one to watch, particularly in the last two weeks. What we do here is we throw out bullshit theories and then they get shot down. <laughs> By but the we, metric ton. We, we said that uh, we didn't think Biden would go down there. Maybe we said he shouldn't go down there. But uh, Ron Klain said on Sunday that uh, he is going to go down there. And maybe he can help with that suburban voter uh, down there. You know, we we uh, we shall see. We'll do predictions next week. We're, 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 we'll get our shattered crystal ball out and try again. For 2024. So anyway, (laughs) this has been, I think, a very good week for Biden, not just because, you know, he's got, you know, he is certified and uh, he's got the transition going. By the end of the week, he'll have won Georgia a third time (laughs) when they count the votes yet again. Uh, But he's certified there as well. Uh, Now he's turned to... uh, to these uh, appointments, nominations, which I think was his plan to try and send a strong signal that the thing was over just in case there was any doubt. Yeah. Now totally. there is no doubt. But, um, you know, an interesting uh, group of, of nominations. And uh, I got my own thoughts on it, but I'm interested in what you guys thought from a political standpoint and a strategic standpoint. Well, I would say you know, combined age 974, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's funny. I got a call from a senior Republican staffer on the House side saying, you know, we're watching all these appointments and everybody's like, okay, not bad. Okay. Normal. We like it. Nothing to worry about. Don't need to check, you know, your, your exit plan, your flashlight and your bag of cash after getting a scary appointment like we did in the Trump world. So I think he's going with kind of the by the regulars or the the people who've been in the system a long time and are kind of competent technocrats. So you know I'm a conservative. I'd rather have some more right of center vibe. But hell, uh, compared to what we had, I, I think he's he's been safe and prudent with, of course, an eye on optics, uh, which are I think working for him. Yeah, I think the restorative nature of of what he preached during the campaign, and I think what he's picked thus far. Uh, are important. I think the repair work that has to be done around the norms that we lost, um, you know, I, I think the idea that maybe some of these picks are, are both boring and predictable are probably a good thing 
for the deceleration of the news cycle in Washington in a good way. Uh, I think, you know, maybe if, if we can spend a few months um, not picking up our phones at 6.03 in the morning and realizing that somebody's already uh, rattled off seven nasty tweets uh, criticizing uh, our allies, our enemies, and and two people that he doesn't like, then that, that will end up being a... a an enormously good thing. And I think these these nominees are they're 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 competent. Then what should we do at six oh three on a can I call you? Would that be you okay? You can or better yet hit snooze and call me at seven oh three. No, but you, you guys will be calling, will be you'd see what the hell AOC just tweeted. Damn it, doesn't she understand yeah. team playing around here? The good thing I've seen in these nominees, David, is that you know they're They've grown up in in some ways, and and they've got experience in the agencies that they're now running. Um, Tony Blinken in the State Department, you know, Jake Sullivan in the National Security Council in the policy process. Um, you, Avril you know, Haines, the, yeah, the Avril Haines, the Deputy Secretary of uh, the CIA, who's now the DNI, the Deputy Secretary of DHS, who's now going to be the head of DHS. I think that this notion of competence. Um, and the the restoring of of that, I think, is going to be enormously powerful. Yeah. Look, I think he sent a bunch of signals. Um, uh, one signal on national security was uh, we're we're back in the business of robust diplomacy and robust alliances. I mean, and this was a um, obvious departure from uh, Trump, and so much so that uh, it got a big thumbs up from Jim Mattis of all people. Uh, the other day who encouraged them to go uh, that route and leave America first uh, behind. The, the second thing uh, is that um, you've got a bunch of people who are steeped in their uh, in the areas in which they're going to serve. They're, as you point out, Robert, they're experienced. And, you know, it, it sends a strong signal that I'm not appointing, you know, my uh, political apparatchiks to be director of national intelligence. In fact, we have, I think, a bite from Avril Haines that caught my ear uh, when she accepted the nomination today. I know, Mr. President-elect and Madam Vice President-elect, that you've selected us not to serve you, but to serve on behalf of the American people to help advance our security, our prosperity, our values, that the call to service in this role is what makes this nomination such a tremendous honor. It was a subtle point, but it was a, an important one. We're not here to serve you. We're here to serve the country. And that is diametrically, a, you know, she put that line in there for a reason, because we've had a DNI uh, uh, two really now in a row at enacting and 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 the current uh, DNI who were basically politicians uh, who were there because the president thought he should have someone there who would protect his his interests, not the country's interests. And I thought that was really powerful, actually. No, it's a good theme, and it's based on the truth. I mean, this is basically the Empire Strikes Back if the empire is good. And, you know, I've always thought the galaxy needed order. So I've always been on team empire, but this is the old bipartisan foreign policy establishment getting regular order back. And believe me on the R side, that's calming a lot of people down. Now there will be fights and disagreements, but it will be within the old framework where the consensus alliances are good. You know, the world counts where the metronome beat all the stuff that, you know, we'd fight with 
in, but the the idea of some normalcy back to the hundred years of history of this is incredibly refreshing, and it's true. Now, I would tell them that they 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 should act in the country's interest first and foremost always, but be a little careful if any White House acting not enough in the White House's interest, because the White House has has little little goblins that come out at night to push you back into line. But you know, Biden is a creature of that bipartisan kind of view, and and that is the return to normalcy, and it's good. The other thing is that all of them having Tony Blinken as a former deputy uh, secretary of state, Avril Haines coming out of the CIA, uh, Mayorkas, the new uh, DHS uh, secretary, having uh, been the, the, the deputy there, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the new UN ambassador, 35 years in the Foreign Service, after Trump has spent four years decimating uh, these, uh, you know, uh, these communities, essentially, the career forest service people, career intelligence uh, people, it has to be reassuring to those communities that they're going to be respected again, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and God knows the Europeans, the NATO allies are all like finally putting the, the whiskey bottle down after four scary years. <laughs> Tell them to send some over here. Yeah, we, we're taking it. You know, we I made up with the French consul, by the way. I don't know if you saw those tweets, but uh, the did, I saw those. Yeah, the French Republic's man in uh, Chicago, and I, of course, am an agent of the French Republic. I've been over there observing elections. Got a lot of friends in that world, but they thought I took a crack at the French army during the famous bedwetter episode. Yeah, when I said did, I'd rather you did. be with you. Did just to be no, clear, you, no, 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 you no, did no. take they, a crack people, at the French people. Army. Oh, we oui, missed the yes, delegate. Delicate nuance. I said I would rather be in a foxhole with the French army, which, by the way, has a has oh, a centuries-long history of being one of the best armies in the world. I'm still waiting for my bottle of wine and crate of cheese here. <laughs> but then the bedwethers of the Democratic Party. So in the spirit of Verdun, I'm glad I cleaned that up. While we're here, our uh, producer was uh, taking a lot of incoming uh, because they, uh, and I think from us, because we ridiculed Gibbs, by calling him the League of Women Voters and <laughs> the the the, the uh, uh, politically correct police uh, felt like we were ridiculing women because we ridiculed yes. the League of Women Voters. There are there are uh, priggish people, male and female. So let's make that clear. We were associating Gibbs ah. with all of them. Well. Uh, I tried to get you guys to use the old Republican campaign term, which Republican hacks listening will remember, the plague of woman vipers, which is how <laughs> we used to refer to them because they're lefty. But why don't we just go over to Sob Sisters? How about that? More mail. Send Thanks it to for Gibbs. digging us out of a hole there, my friend. Now we got something to talk about next week. We're going to be apologizing till kingdom come here. But last point I want to make on the uh, on the appointees. You can't. <laughs> the other message he's obviously sending is one of, uh, of historic uh, – appointments uh, avril haynes to, as dni first woman to run the the dni uh, uh secretary mayorkas uh, a cuban-american immigrant uh running uh, uh the department of homeland security um uh, linda thomas greenfield uh, an african-american not it's not a, a historic appointment uh in that uh, susan rice had been there but uh, has a wonderful incredible story that she told today um and uh of, of her own life and her own family uh all of that was important too and then of course the one that wasn't announced today but apparently will be next week Janet Yellen we mentioned her earlier to run uh, as the first it's kind of astonishing to think about it but the first secretary of treasury in the long history of this republic uh 
and uh, you know that is that is a uh, uh, astounding historic uh, a, hist- a major historic uh, appointment. All in all, I think uh, a really uh, good round uh, for for Biden. The one thing I would say to you guys who, who is got, who got weights and measures? That's the one name you haven't worked into this so far. I'm holding out for Amtrak, but apparently I suggested you to show a uh, <laughs> a, a bit of bipartisanship. I, I want Amtrak, but the problem is you can't lay anybody off because Biden knows them all. So I'd be the wrong choice to shake that up. <laughs> Man, you're trying to get us in trouble with a lot of people today, aren't you? <laughs> Republican Mike is back. I'll tell you what I think he does have to do moving forward, though. Uh, you know, he's got a whole bunch of appointments to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw an election in which, um, in which you know, w- uh, working class voters across the country, particularly white working class voters, uh, uh voted uh, for Donald Trump to the astonishment of a lot of people who didn't. Uh, And, um, you know, it it is important if you're going to send a signal that you're going to be the president for the whole country to have a cabinet that looks like the whole country. And so, you know, where do you fit someone in who speaks to that group and says, yeah, there's my, my person? Well, we, I don't think we have the labor appointment yet. I mean, one, one just thing to tag the Yellen deal a little bit is it wasn't Elizabeth Warren. I mean, Biden has not sent the progressive warrior signal, at least so far at all. Could be Bernie Sanders. He wants it. Okay. It could be him, which would be, you know, you take the iconic figure of the left and put him in that spot. Well, we could unionize Hacks on Tap. That would, I don't think that, that there is a petition a going around. I don't know whether you <laughs> yeah. knew that. I think Gibbs started it. My brother was a member of the Wobblies, the last <laughs> the last local in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I'll call him and see if they can send up an organizer. They still take your messages? Uh, we we got to get in front of Bernie. I'm, I'm actually the member of two unions. Oh, no, I know. Dude's I know. paying here, so I'm not taking any lectures. But not a happy I'm, one. You've made that clear. <laughs> no, no yeah. I'm a grumpy yeah. union member. But your point is well taken. Maybe that'll be the slot with Bernie where they try to kind of hit a double. Though I can tell you the joy of corporate America will will know no end when that happens. I, you know, I think that the first round was pitch perfect. And I know a lot, a lot, a number of these people. Uh, you know, Tony Blinken is as good a person as you will meet and as smart a person. And, uh, you know, when he travels the world as secretary of state, people will know he speaks for the president of the United States because he's worked closely with him for a very long time. And, um, uh, you know, when it comes to rebuilding trust and rebuilding alliances, he will be uh, very strong. And Jake Sullivan is a phenom. Uh, you know, he's a young young guy. Despite your disparaging of this group, there are actually many of them are quite young. The youngest who have ever probably held these positions. Jake uh, Jake is 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 forty three, uh, but really a brilliant brilliant guy. Good dancer. Uh, <laughs> Irish. Right, you can't oh, I, I can't that. go wrong. Can't go yeah. wrong. We're, yeah. Okay. I think message received. We're very happy with the the seasoned Democrats in the For Democratic now, yeah. cabinet. Yeah. And I'll look. I will say, as somebody who is ready to pounce, um, I, I no no wild eyed liberals are a consensus cabinet. The real message is competence and experience. So I give I give Biden four stars so far. I'm waiting on labor and a few others, but so far so good. Yeah, he's threaded the needle on both sides of this. I think uh, I think really well. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. 
But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just, you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not yeah, a good and, and and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something, and now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Did you see um, this poll this morning, uh, not to ruin your day, uh, Murphy, that said that a majority of Republicans w- want Trump to be the uh, nominee again in 2024? Well, as we all know, polls now are not nearly the iron (laughs) grip. You may be clinging to yesterday's metrics, my friend, but (laughs) polls, even when they work, are a rearview mirror. My my old client, John Angler, we'd always roll into the office, well, Governor, polls are lower than ever. And he'd always look up and kind of snort and say, yeah, 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 you guys just blew 30 grand to find out what happened two weeks ago. I could care less. Onward! And, you know, three terms. So I I, point is well taken. Look, Trump is still the thing in the Republican Party, but uh, we're going to let this let this uh, pot roast boil for a while. And (laughs) we'll see the midterms are going to be the deal because there are going to be some open seats. where you are going to have Trumpy versus not so Trumpy Republican primary contests. And then we're going to find out. I think that actually is is what's going to happen. I think that you're going to have some showdowns here. Right. And and if he's smart, he will he will choose carefully because I'm not sure, for example, that, you know, he, he was unhappy with Mike DeWine for having the temerity of uh, of of saying that uh, he thought that Biden was the president elect and uh, Trump uh, uh, grumpily uh, uh, tweeted time for a primary challenge. Yeah. Uh, Try I, I it. Look at that little mongoose. I'm going to kick its ass, said the snake. So, yeah, you, you go try to beat Mike DeWine in Ohio. I, I, I'll, I'll pay to see that. I, I think some of these these uh, 
primaries will be interesting. I think you're right. He's got to pick carefully. It, it will be interesting, though, to see, A, whether, and I assume that before he leaves, he'll announce he's going to run, whether he is or not, as a placeholder. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see as the years go on, does he do that? Is he just raising money for some legal defense fund rather than a political action committee? Uh, but, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to watch, Murphy. I don't, you know, I, I think this this couple of weeks has been interesting to underscore the fact that, you know, he, he's not just in power now he's transitioning out, but, boy, the, the Republican Party is still awfully scared of, uh, you know, 280 characters on Twitter from him. And, and I, I think it's going to take more than a while for that to get out of the body politic of the Republican Party. Yeah, and my guess is the perception of his strength, if his strength does wane, will last longer than the strength. So what, what the big question for the party will be, and, and Axe alluded to this a minute ago, as did I, in the primary season of a special or 2022, will there be a Harris-Wofford moment where a more regular Republican beats the Trumpy guy that Trump tweets for? And then the whole CW will change. But, you know, we don't know yet, though. That's coming, and it's going to tell everything. But right now, yeah, he's strong, but it doesn't matter. There's no war. The only issue in his life right now is, you know, when to pack. You know, but we will have a campaign season, and he'll try to be part of it in eighteen months. And you think he'll go down to Georgia in in sometime in late December or early early January? Uh, unless he hates Kemp so much, he can't. You know, right. um, because he's remember this is a guy who runs on grievances, so he's probably got a big calculation. Well, I want to screw the Democrat. I mean, if if they slip him a poll showing they're in the bag because it's Georgia and a runoff, and he, he can go down and take credit now. He right. probably doesn't believe polls anymore because they fed him phony polls all during the election. But if they can make him think there's no risk to looking like a loser, I think he'll bolt down there. Yeah. You know, the, the other issue, of course, is where he, he roosts and can he create a kind of media outpost from which to lead the resistance against mm -hmm. Republicans, recalcitrant Republicans and Biden. And I'm sure that that is what is planned. But he's got a lot of stuff on his plate. He's got some uh, legal issues, some financial well, th issues. Thank goodness he has such a great legal team ready to take on the Southern <laughs> District of New York. <laughs> wow. You better find some other lawyers, man. If he, yeah. be, uh, yep. I don't think wow. these guys are going to hold up uh, in those uh, legal proceedings. In they, they couldn't make it through the People's Court, let alone the Southern <laughs> District. Though, though I will say they fired the Tiger Lady. Did you see that? The Vegas sparkly Tiger Lady? Too crazy even for Rudy and Trump. Sidney Powell? Yeah. Yeah, they got rid of her. Yeah. Yep. Well, after uh, she goes on Newsmax and says this is all a what a CIA plot to uh, cahoots with Hugo Chavez. Oh my God! Yeah, it was it was really extraordinary. Says I, something when Rudy's like, "Whoa, that's just way out. Exactly, we can't have yeah. you." <laughs> UFO magazine called. They just can't print it. <laughs> right. like too crazy. Stay tuned as we pay some bills and you listen to some ads. So Tom writes, Murphy, as an intelligent thinker, so you've got him fooled, who bashes yes, the Green New Deal, what is the Republican plan to combat global warming? I'm not aware of any. And if there is one, is there any way it could work before it's too late? Well, Tom, solar-powered rickshaws, stay tuned. No, that, that's the facetious answer. The, the, so first of all, let's talk about, for 
quickly because I could go on for no, hours. No, 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 no. He asked what your plan is. He didn't ask for critique of the Green New Deal. Well, Don't I'm do going to open with that because it's so much fun. Quickly. The Green New Deal is a slogan. If you look at the policy umbrella underneath it, it's a massive government try to grab on the economy and try to control emissions in kind of a, a crude way. There is not the Republican consensus there ought to be, but clearly the consensus is moving in the party that we have to take some action. So a free market-based kind of trading to basically incentivize the free market to reduce emissions is is where the Republicans are ideologically. But they haven't really come up with a coherent plan because Trump had no interest in it. So, you know, balls in their court to do something. But I actually think if you could, if you could change the incentives between the tax code and other things uh, for all sorts of areas, everything from converting plastic um, uh, you know, like water bottles into recyclable aluminum, a million things you can do uh, that would start to curb it. And the other thing is, and maybe Biden will be better at this, is big planet out there. You got a lot of lesser developed economies that still burn a lot of coal uh, to create electricity. And their argument is, hey, you're rich. You're telling us that we have to have massive unemployment and cut, increase the price of our energy. You know, it's got to be one boat. Uh, and the U.S. has to lead. Maybe we will now. First of all, what you describe as cap and trade, which the Republicans voted against uh, uh, during the during the Obama years, but you know this big spending. I, I, I'm not talking about the Green New Deal, but one thing's very clear: if you're going to go through a conversion in the economy that's going to displace uh, workers in uh, in old energy uh, industries, that there has to be uh, there has to be a, a conversion of jobs as well. Uh, and uh, so that that needs to be part of the plan. Secondly, there needs to be a recognition that there actually is climate change. And, you know, the kind of disinformation campaign that we've seen makes it very, very hard to come to a consensus about this. It's like mask wearing. And we got to get past that. The needle's definitely moving in Republican world. I hope so. Which is good. Then we just have to see if we let the free market do it or turn it over to the post office. All right, Axe, here's a question from Eric. Why wasn't there a massive organized effort by the Democratic Party to take state legislatures in reference to 2020 being a redistricting year like the Republicans did in 2010? It feels like this was totally neglected by Democrats, even though gerrymandering has been a hot topic for years. Am I wrong? Was there any effort I don't know about made by the party this year? Yes, you were wrong, Eric. There were big efforts. One of them was run by uh, Eric Holder, the former attorney general, and, and, and President Obama. But there were other efforts as well, as well as a party effort. I don't think that the problem this year was at Democrats. In the past, I think that would have been a, a, a valid critique. That wasn't the problem this year. The problem this year was the same problem that uh, congressional Democrats met uh, and that uh, many of the Senate candidates met. Donald Trump. Uh, engendered a very, very strong turnout in strong Republican areas uh, and uh, in Republican sections of, of, of districts that were up for grabs, and that overwhelmed Democratic candidates uh, in those areas. So there's a, there's a definite, and it was a huge blow. I mean, uh, Democrats thought they were going to take half a dozen legislatures in some key states, didn't take any, lost three uh, more. Uh, and this is going to have an impact on redistricting. And those redistricted maps have something to do with how these elections uh, turn out. So it was a it was a painful a loss, but it wasn't for lack of resources or lack of attention. Not this time. 
Well, it might have been messaging problems, which brings me to my favorite topic, socialism, and a question for Gibbs. John, why are Republicans so much more effective at messaging than Democrats, e.g. labeling Biden as a socialist, which many millions of people believe? Why don't Dems do as well labeling ours? I think to, to the point that you made around the legislative uh, races, I, I think the Democrats do need a sharper message, I think particularly around the economy. Uh, and I think returning to a focus on healthcare like we did in 2018, I do want to reject, though, the premise of the question. It, it sort of misremembers that Democrats, at, at least at a presidential level, won this race. Uh, and sure, some of that is uh, maybe even a big part of that's Donald Trump. But I, I don't think we should walk away from the fact that Democrats uh, um particularly at the top of the ticket, are crossing 80 million votes when nobody had previously gotten 70 million votes. Um, but look, I think in the future, again, we're going to have to develop some sharper messaging, again, particularly around economics. And I think as you, you, you know, the, the socialist thing stuck um, uh, quite a bit, uh, as Murphy will remember, in Southern Florida. I think we're going to have to look at uh, black voters and Hispanic voters and think of them, A, less monolithically, uh, we're also going to have to be think of them less as um, uh, turnout targets exclusively and, and do some real messaging to persuade. I think they're going to be we're going to need to enter into the contest of ideas as it relates to these voters. Um, so I think a sharper message is definitely in order uh, as we go into the next election cycle. Trump could not label Biden successfully as a socialist, and he ultimately gave up on that. And he turned his message to he is just the enfeebled dupe of the socialists who actually run the Republican Party. And I think he you made some Democrat. headway in uh, Democratic Party. Yeah. And he made some headway in he couldn't brand Biden, but he did brand Democrats. And I think that Democrats down ballot paid a, uh, a price for that and you know, it, but it isn't just about messaging. It's also it's about the threat. You know, what what do you emphasize in campaigns, and how do you maximize your base? And uh, you know, economic messages uh, have the power to do that. Uh, there are other messages that uh, that that can push voters away, uh, and I think Democrats need to think about. Uh, messaging. I actually think Biden handled his messaging really well uh, in this campaign and uh, knew where to engage and where not to engage. Uh, he hit back on the socialist piece, I think, uh, fairly effectively, hit back on the defund police thing fairly effectively. Um, but, uh, you know, Trump brought out a big Republican uh, turnout. And those folks, uh, I think, uh, for those folks, some of that messaging stuck to other uh, Democrats. Yeah, but you guys on the Dem side, quickly, and then Gibbs, um, you can't be blind to the fact you do have some media savvy, extremely noisy kind of identity politics, black belt socialists running around in your, your congressional caucus. And, you know, they're, they might be outnumbered five to one, but they've got red paint, they throw it and it sticks and stuff, making the Republican job easy. Yeah, some people call themselves, I guess, socialists. Most of them uh, refer to themselves as democratic socialist which is sort of like french vanilla it's still vanilla it's, it's i mean pretty, do, do well it is it, it is it is if you take it apart there goes the consulate again <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly here we go yeah get in line with the league of women vipers no one is talking about you know the state owning uh 
means of production, businesses, and so on. That's not that's not what they're talking about. Guys like you are too, and I love you, brother, but you're too gleeful about throwing that term around, and it really doesn't apply. Uh, well, it certainly doesn't apply to 99% of Democrats out there. But if it works politically, it's going to be used. The Democrats yeah, never say spend, they say invest. Everything is a tax cut for the rich. You know, I mean, both parties use this semi-dishonest lexicon to move the needle. So my advice to Democrats is get the socialists as few as they might be, and we can argue about how many, and half socialists, two-thirds. Get them out of the front window if you want to sell some Chevys. Would no, be my advice I, I think that's, I, I, I agree with you. I think Democrats have to decide sort of how they maximize their base and how they grow just enough. Democrats need to do some soul searching. I think Republicans do too. I think I mentioned to you the last uh, show that one of your compatriots said um, that the problem for the Republican Party is that it's growing where the country is shrinking and shrinking where the country is growing. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's that's a problem for Republicans. So both parties have. And we have QAnon, by the way. We're going to have our AOQs um, <laughs> on our side. So this stuff is always symmetry, but yours are louder, and that's score yes. for us. What would just to put a pin in this? That would concern me a little bit as a Democrat is not just the messaging problems because I think those are need to be worked on. But one of the things you can't say after this election is we lack the resources, right? So, in other words, it really does read down to messaging because lots of people heard it. It just didn't. It didn't move enough people, and that's I think what's important. Yeah, you had a ton of campaign. Wasserman uh, made a good point last week about that money too, which is the money itself became a negative because the messaging for Republicans in a place like South Carolina was, why is all this money pouring in here from, you know, lefties in New York and Los Angeles and uh, well, the problem in places. South Carolina is there's just a lot more Republicans than there are Democrats, regardless of how much money you put in. Because of your f- fulsome apology to the French, we're going to give you a second question from Alex, who says, Murphy, what advice would you give to a young conservative who wants to get involved in politics, but like you, has significant issues with Trump and the current state of the GOP? I'm worried that the toxicity of Trump will diminish future opportunities if I volunteer for a Republican effort now. What do you think? Do I get involved now or do I wait until things are less crazy? Oh, that is a great question. And first of all, Alex, thank you for being on the conservative side of history where the future will be made. I would quote the great Tom Long, a friend of mine, the most dangerous politician in Canada yeah. uh, on the conservative side. And he he's always says, you know, politics will always be there. So, you know, have a life too. But I would encourage you to get involved knowing that the future is to be made in the party and there are going to be worthy fights over this. So get a little experience now. You don't have to join the Trump troops. There's other stuff to do. And be part of, over the next 30 years, you're young, over creating what a modern conservatism is and reject this populism. We need troops. We need sergeants. And so I would encourage you to go to the Bulwark, which is kind of our Internet headquarters for the non-crazy Trump world, uh, and you'll see there's a debate raging there from former Republicans who say, I can't take it anymore. I'm leaving the party. I'm not doing that. I'm staying in the fight. And that's what I would encourage you to do. And uh, over time, you know, uh, if the Russian Revolution can start with eight people. I think we can do pretty well with about the million we've got. So hang in there and stay with it. Murphy's the kind of guy who shows up at who used to show up at parties even when he wasn't invited. So who's going to be the one to tell him? <laughs> yeah, you're still mad about the socialist thing, there, Trotsky. <laughs> they don't want you. Uh, 
Gibbs, Caroline asks, I'm wondering about the inability to do traditional door knocking and GOTV. Do you think that if Democrats had had the ability to do door knocking, their turnout numbers would have been better? And let me just give you a hint on this. I think the answer is yes, but go ahead. <laughs> well, the last one you answered for me anyway, so I would, uh, I'll take your answer. <laughs> I'm here to yes. help, brother. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely. Look, I, I think everybody had to adapt to a c- campaigning in a COVID world. And I think there's no doubt that not having door knocking, not having rallies and events in, in, in big places hurt Democrats, hurt uh, our turnout mechanism. I mean, look, a good rally is not just an area, a, a, a time and a place where you come to feel good. You're collecting information. You're using, the campaigns are using it to get back in touch with those voters, figure out what they care about, figure out how to get them to the polls. It was still done pretty successfully, I might add, this year through digital efforts. But I do think we missed out on the door knocking. We missed out on uh, the general field activities. We did a little of it in some places. I know there was some of it in Philadelphia, um, but we definitely need to get back to that in a robust way in 2022. And I think if you look at some of the states, I think we've got to add some real infrastructure, particularly in swing states, Democratic parties. If you look at the effort that was made in Wisconsin, I think there was a real effort to professionalize the Wisconsin Democratic Party, and it it paid dividends, and I think we're going to have to do that in a lot more places. You know, I think this is an election, I'll be contrarian, where campaign tech is overrated. Everybody showed up, and the messaging was really stark. Fire the jerk we've got for four years we don't like anymore, and don't let the left run wild in the Congress. So all that stuff is good, but I don't think it was decisive. I think you just took like six weeks of our, our hacks on tap. I just tell everybody know, it's that I know. simple I'm, thing. Well, I'm, I'm going to be suspended for the, uh, the Viper You're bad thing for, reruns. for two weeks anyway. Last question for X quickly. Ian writes, my question is about a recent Monmouth poll that seems to indicate that 70% of Republican voters feel the election was fraudulent. Why is this poll suddenly being treated as credible when it's obvious that most recent pre-election polls were obviously quite inaccurate? What suddenly changed in polling methodology in the past few weeks? Acts. None of the polls were, were off by, I mean, 70% is a big number. Okay. These are big numbers. And and I mean, obviously, I think there's going to be a lot of scrutiny to polls. And there were, particularly in some of the state polls, as last time, there were mistakes, uh, uh, significant mistakes. Even if you uh, applied them, the outcome of those states ended up being the same. But there's going to be a lot of questions uh, about that. Uh, but I do think it raises an interesting point, which is people are going to start um, – People will distrust polls because of this, and it'll make the job of polling uh, even harder. And um, you know, we we should get a pollster in here in the next few weeks and have a, a more a rigorous discussion uh, about this. I think at the end of the day, um, Trump has sowed a lot of suspicion among Republicans about the election unfairly. Uh, and unjustly and unsupported by evidence has has been proven again and again and again as we've gone through uh, this process. I think it's a disservice to democracy. And let me say, I think it's a disservice to Republican and Democratic uh, Americans around the country who worked on these elections and suddenly became vilified because the results weren't what the president uh, wasn't weren't what the president wanted. So. Um, 
that was going to be my last call. I was going to salute those people, but I couldn't I couldn't wait. I had to get it off my chest, and I did, so there. It's a good last call. Let me add one plug for our polling obsessive hackeroos. There was a good op-ed piece last week in the Washington Post by Dr. David Hill. Check it out, and he talks about how it took over 130,000 phone calls to complete six polls. Uh, and who would take the call and who wouldn't. It's, it's very interesting. It's highly empirical for polling obsessives. Yeah, Gibbs used to have to make that many to get a, a date. So, uh, <laughs> More than that. Now, yeah. look, I want to do the plug here. If you have Plus a question, or minus three and a half percent. <laughs> you too can be in the mailbag. That is, of course, at the mailbag email address, hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate us. And I am told by our spies inside Apple, you can actually share the podcast to get people hopefully hooked on it or at least tick them off. All that at the Apple Podcast app. All right, mes amis, it's time to go. Well, first of all, gentlemen, happy Thanksgiving. Monsieur Murphy. I have a lot. I have a lot, including the French Republic, to be thankful for. Wonderful family, great friends, including yes. you characters. And uh, to all our listeners, we really appreciate it. We've had a little bit of a ratings climb, and now... Now I'm actually insulted on the street by people who listen to this thing and tell me to lay off the <laughs> That's uh, our League of Women voters. Right. So anyway, thank you guys. Thank everybody. And uh, here, here. On to the future. Here, Stay here. healthy out there. <laughs>